Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Skill, there's a whole bunch of new music out in the world, and we've got a question for one of the finest bands on the no, no, planet. No, 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 later. no, 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 no. I was about to say, you said to me, you <laughs> promised me before we started this podcast, oh, don't worry, Jules, I'm not going to open by talking about that band. I'm not going to open it. I'm just teasing it. I'm teasing who we're going to talk about. I it's don't not even know ABBA. what we're doing, mate. What are we doing? We're doing the entire band of podcasts, the entitled UBP. ABBA podcast. Uh, the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. I'm Scott Tilford, joined by Jules Gill. Hello, everyone. A very messy podcast because we rounded up a whole bunch of questions. Lots of people sent us stuff in last week. I asked for a lot of people's hot takes this week. So we've got some nice uh, opinionated stuff. Also, you've frozen. You've frozen. Jules I'm Scott. not frozen. I'm still alive, mate. I'm still very <laughs> much here. I've not frozen. Uh, the only thing that has frozen is my heart after realizing <laughs> seeing your face again after like having that lovely moment when Aww. we connected in the uh, the office. We got to record the UBP live together. That was yeah. really really fun. And now we're back here in Zoom land. We're back in uh, yeah. We're back in Zoomville. We saw we had a lovely time last week eating some pies. Sounds sexual. It's not actual pies. <laughs> it was lovely and uh, big pines and stuff. But anyway, thanks to everybody for sending in their various questions and thoughts we'll get to as many as we can opening question from dan who says what's your take on square enix attempting to blame the avengers failure on crystal dynamics can they really be that tone deaf to the fan base appreciate all the work lads and hope you're both well have you caught up with this so yeah far? so so what i was a bit disappointed to hear is that i don't like it when you get companies that backtrack on their games it's the peter molyneux sort of thing when he was doing so fable no in, the, in the run-up well. for like uh, fable uh, 2 he was like mm-hmm. denouncing fable 1 saying it was a piece of crap and that you should play fable 2 it's much better and then when Fable 2, 3 came out, he was like, oh, Fable 2 was rubbish. Mm. I can't believe that I even sold you on that. Oh, what a muggins I am. <laughs> what am I like? That's, that's what it feels with this because they've gone, the Avengers has been out for a year now, hasn't yeah, it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like it's been out for a long old time. The mm-hmm. complaints have been pretty like substantial and consistent throughout all of the events and throughout everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And Square Enix haven't shied away from pushing from all of their microtransaction heavy thing, all of the event stuff that's come out. They haven't stopped with that. So they've clearly been ignored ignoring the feedback just so that they could get to this point and be like ah actually it wasn't as good we've made you pay for it but you know uh, well the thing is uh, Dan says here it's like can they really be that tone deaf I mean the thing is it would be entirely Square Enix whose decision it was to put all these money grubby things in the Mm -hmm. game in the first Mm -hmm. place Um, these are the people who wanted uh, the microtransaction elements put into Deus Ex they they mandated that weird half multiplayer mode that was in Mankind Divided so at no point do I think it's Crystal Dynamics' fault and I think it is really lame to just try and throw them 
them under the bus and be like, oh, actually, they weren't the right decision. It's like, well, if yeah. you stepped away and just let them make a video game, because um, I'm sure in this in the press release thing, they mentioned that they were known for Tomb Raider and they've made other games mm -hmm. over the years. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, so they are a competent studio. Yeah. Um, and, and Tomb Raider, yeah. as far as I can tell, didn't have the focus. Like, I mean, yes, it did have a shoehorn multiplayer system in it, mm. but at nowhere were those games ever sold to us as being like piecemeal with tons of DLC no. added to it. It was basically like, here's a standalone single player game first and then additional content gets dropped later it's kind on of funny like you can almost read it in reverse where i wonder if the statement that they were putting out was actually saying that they they wanted a studio that would be mo as money grubby as them so they mm -hmm. were saying you can read it as them saying well we should have got someone more akin to like an ea type studio uh, or someone like that because we wanted all that money and crystal dynamics would mm -hmm. had too much integrity and that balancing act was what broke everything doesn't it feel a lot like um the ea Bioware Anthem debacle yeah, yeah. from just a couple of years ago. This seems exactly the same like <laughs> treads that we're doing because it's just like a, a big publisher who wants a lot of money gets in a well-known developer to mm -hmm. make them a game, promises the world based on their lineage, and then when it doesn't deliver in the right ways because it's twisted what that developer does into something that is what the publisher wants, mm -hmm. they then just go, ah, we'll wipe our hands, clean a bit, and it's Bioware's reputation that's been sullied in the process. Yeah. At the end of the day, no one looks, and I, I'm sorry, Mr. Square Enix, if you are listening to this, it's not <laughs> a personal Enix. attack on you. I'm just saying that like, if you've got your EAs, your Ubisofts, your uh, Square Enixes, nobody looks at the big publishers and thinks oh they're swell guys no one thinks that they look at the developers and go they are the people that are working their asses yeah. off to for their publisher overlords mm -hmm. like it's not the eas and the ubisofts that are walking away from these situations going oh no my integrity has been irreparably damaged <laughs> no it's the publisher that then goes off and sorry the developer that goes off and then has to work even harder to regain that foothold mm -hmm. of trust within the community yeah, no man, entirely. I think that there was that whole thing that just happened with Hangar 13 as well, the Mafia 3 developers, mm -hmm, that they just mm -hmm. had a game that was cancelled after four to five years. Um, and it just, it's, it, I always feel for the developers. It's not like they're on any develop, like someone in that developing house might be a bit more money focused than, um, you know, others, the coding department, for example, or the art department. But yeah. it is nearly always the publisher whims that result in money grubby stuff overall. There is one thing, though, that I did think of just now. If you are being approached by a publisher or you are approaching a publisher with a concept for a game, maybe you need to, in this day and age, have in your business model, like all of these microtransaction heavy stuff, all of Absolutely. these ways that are like, like paying in different uh, forms and just getting as much monetary content out of this as possible. <laughs> so maybe when they approached it, Crystal Dynamics had to be like, listen, we we want the Avengers license. This is what we were prepared mm. to do for it. Maybe they mm. did agree in principle to have this shell of a game forced upon them, but to then say that it's their fault when in yeah. actuality, it's the industry's fault for forcing these types of games into every single, this, this format of video games into every single genre. Honestly, now, it, you can't you can't escape this now. No, and I think that I think I've said this before, but I think gamers are some of the most learned audience, uh, learned fans in any entertainment medium. Like we know what's up. Everyone mm -hmm. has a game, a game playing friend. Even if you're more, a more casual player, and um, you have that friend who knows everything inside out, and hence why things like Anthem bomb and the Avengers bombed because mm -hmm. it was very pain to see that people were being abused uh, in regards to their money and everything. So I think yeah, I think if everyone sees right through this, and um, yeah, I think that it is a hell of a tone deaf thing to say.
hopefully yeah, in the long so. run, um, people know that the quality of the developers and Crystal Dynamics have made some phenomenal games over the years, whereas Square Enix have been a bit all over the place, um, especially mm-hmm. with their publishing uh, decisions. Next question from Matthew McGowan. My hot take is that Mass Effect 1 is the best in the series. 2 and 3 are cover shooters. 1 is an actual <laughs> is actually an RPG. <laughs> oh, okay. They removed the okay. healing system, oh, added ammo oh, clips, oh. way less powers and abilities to choose or upgrade. No weapon or ammo upgrades. What now, do you think, Jules? Now, this is uh, a classic troll move right now, clearly, because <laughs> this is the thing, my friend. You Go are on. allowed to like Mass Effect 1. It is mm-hmm. not a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. It definitely does have some rough around the edges things. But Mass Effect 2, it scaled things back and improved things in so many ways. Mm. Yes, it, it has, way yes, it has like a cover shooter focus but that's not a bad thing that is like that actually helped the flow of the gameplay battles mm-hmm. the amount of times in mass effect one where you would be trying to maneuver around cover and trying to manage your squad and things <laughs> just were just not working it made me feel like an absolute idiot whereas in mass effect two but having that slowdown when you bring up the powers mm-hmm. using all these like cover things to buy yourself that little bit of time meant that you could then wait until the enemy gets into position and launch a perfect counter attack that made you feel like the true commander shepherd yeah, you were meant to be playing as all the shortcuts as well, so you can just like fire off your squad mates' yeah, abilities. Yeah, and exactly. Stuff. And stuff. Tell you what, though, tell you what, Jules Gill, going through the uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, I mm. might I might side with Matthew McGowan here. I actually really, really? loved. I think it's because if you go it's, through the Legendary, it's the best Mass Effect for me personally, and I adore Mass Effect Two. It was one of my top three favorite games until I went back through the trilogy again on the Legendary Edition. I love and and prefer the feel of Mass Effect One. It's way more like Star Trek. It's way more open ended. I love the fact that you're being a specter and you get to go planet to planet you have all these different interactions with all these different races and it just it feels more it feels more open the thing you said about two reducing the scope is the reason mm. i prefer one and one's tone i just love the the squad the the things that i loved about two at the time are the things that put me off now which is um you know the whole the whole uh, that he dies at the beginning and like it yeah. reduces the scope of the story and your agency in that world you don't get to be a specter anymore it's less about humanity on the intergalactic uh, stage it's yeah, all the it's, things uh, i loved about the first one but see, I, my argument is, is that it's uh, the first Mass Effect. It's like a shotgun. It hits you with so many <laughs> things in like a scattershot approach of like, mm-hmm. here's this amazing like new race. Here's this amazing new planet. It, it trades on wonder of you not yes, seeing it yes. for the first time. It, it's that, that Star Wars experience of just being like, whoa, this is amazing. But Mass Effect 2 is like a sniper rifle. It knows exactly what it's <laughs> aiming for and it hits it. And it's not its not about you. It's not about no. Commander Shepard. It's about the entirety of the human race and beyond. It's about the personal connections you make with all of your team across the way. And it becomes like it becomes a an emotive story that mm. maybe it's not as cool as being a Spectre. Maybe you're right. You can't be the James Bond of space, but this is a much more personal tale in Mass Effect 2. And I mm. loved all of the character development that comes with it. It's a stronger, it's maybe less of a, an impressive story, Mass Effect 2, mm. but it is much more of an impactful one, from my, just, my opinion. It, I, I, like, uh, when I played it in 2011, I would completely agree with you. It's just, it's weird when I went back through it. I was like, Mass Effect 1 has this great drive. Like I said, you're the first human Spectre. You have the, mm-hmm. You're on the intergalactic uh, stage and you're up against all these other aliens and all these different conversations and philosophies about what you represent to the galaxy. And then 2 is this, like, side story. It's like a guide end story. It's just sort of, the collectors don't really matter. They bring them back in, but it's like, we're going to do this whole side thing of 
of like him dying and everyone like losing trust in him and whatever. And it's just weird when you play them back to back, that feels like you're being taken out of the main drive that you had from the first game. And I didn't feel that at the time because we had years in between those, yeah, those years. Yeah. But if you play it as a solid trilogy, if you binge the Mass Effect trilogy, which I did when the Legendary Edition came out, two feels like they're taking you away from the thrust of the first game. And that's also its biggest strength if you love that side story. But for but me, my... it made me prefer the original. But for me, it cut out all of the fat that Mass Effect mm. 1 carried around with it. Like, let's face it, the combat was a bit ropey. I'm sure that the Legendary well, the Edition is fixed. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that it's like fixed a lot of it for that and it's made it a lot better. But it's the thing that I, I hated the Mako. The, the, I, oh, I, I love had, the Mako I, I so know much. That it, this blows my <laughs> mind, by the way, that there are so many people out there that are just like, oh, you know what's really mm. cool? Driving a dinky little like tub around <laughs> that I can fling off a cliff and a no tub. one inside seems to bother. Does it have some sort of like anti-gravity mm. inside it that no one's getting there like concussed every single time you go for a run? I hate the design <laughs> of that thing. It literally <laughs> looks like something you'd knock up after watching Blue Peter from a different room. Like, I'm not gonna I'm following the guide. Oh, just get a Pringles tube and slap some wheels on it. You're not wrong. It is. It does just like a sort of a cigarette packet falling down a hill. It's not. Um, you're not wrong. If you went down the uh, the realistic or the t the tone maintaining sense, it does break everything because everybody would die inside that thing. <laughs> but I do love controlling it, and also, like I said, it factors into that whole idea of um, you know getting in the Normandy. You get the Normandy for the first time. The ship, and you're you're charting these different planets. There's a yeah. real galaxy-sized feel to Mass Effect 1. And literally, it, you can argue that it breaks when you realize how many different, um, you know, biomes are repeated or how many different yeah. parts of yeah, environments yeah. are repeated. Because it's just so empty like all the time. Though. See, I felt it just felt like empty padding, like in mm. a lot of places. There was only a few notable exceptions where I was like, this is actually feels like I'm on the first person to step foot on mm. this land sort of thing. But I, there's one area that I will admit got gets me every time. And that <laughs> is where you go to like, there's a, a shifty cow. Do you remember this? I, I'm, I know I'm not. I, I sound like I've just a bent over and just cow. did a big, big fart on the mic. But I am not talking <laughs> guff. Like it is. You go to an area, right? And it's like this, uh, this uh, quadruped thing, and it's just kind of like. Um, oh. It's like walking along, and it's like it has shifty something on it, and it's like, <laughs> um, it, it's it, I, it, when you turn around, it steals your credits. Okay. No, I'm not making it up. I've got I've got to Google this. I've got like, okay. I know I sound, I sound like I'm a madman. Depending on, on how this uh, wraps back around, this backs up my idea that, because you never know what you're going to get on those planets. And as much as you can say that different parts are copied and pasted, it's the feeling. For me, it's it's that Isaac Asimov, No Man's Sky, big open space sci-fi feeling. That That's the reason that I love it so much. And so if you, you can touch down on a variety of planets, you know, just by de facto, they are different planets. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I like so much. And finding a diseased, crazy cow is maybe one of the best things about it so i found the thing that i was looking for it's called mm. a shifty looking cow and it's a space <laughs> cow that is found on the planet on Tarom in the newton system of the kepler verge now what you do is that I mean, how cool was that sentence though I, I know right i know but when you turn around the cow promptly begins stealing the specter's credits slowly <laughs> and will even follow the commander around I wonder and if it, that's it, a, it, a reference to diablo and the crazy cows that were like diablo one or two or whatever it was the, the cow maybe. glitch it's very strange. And I remember just like coming <laughs> along and just being like, what is this? But yeah, never fails to impress me that. See that thing, like I said, that's the essence of why I love it. Like it, I don't want a whole planet full of, you know, credit stealing cows, but the fact that you don't know what you're going to get um, yeah. is that feeling of sci-fi, quintessential sci-fi in Mass Effect 1. Like if you go back to Mass Effect 1 now, obviously play the legendary edition if you have a mm -hmm. choice. Um, as soon as that music kicks in, those really slow bedded synths mm. that just, it's just like, oh, this is 
this is a style of sci-fi that two got away from and it's fine it two does that other style of sci-fi immaculately the, the more sort of um you know like, th- like thieves guild uh merchant smugglers style sci-fi it does that so well but there's something about one where i i do at the minute having been through the trilogy very recently i do love one the most and, and i didn't used to for the last 10 years it was two but um i would encourage people to go play mass effect one see what they think carry this oh, on we might do a, a whole podcast on mass effect one versus two you never know next question <laughs> from pinky down the liberal doorman Hello, who mate. says for limp biscuit i'm totally team sonic the tailfoot over grumpy dr egg daddy the new album is exactly what i wanted from a limp biscuit album also he tweeted this while having a snacky poo now that sounds worse than it is a snacky poo right, in the no, limp biscuit no. context is a bag of crisps or possibly a bag of biscuits carry on he's, ta- he's taken a snacky poo of an opinion right here because this <laughs> right i listened to it twice the full Good. album all the way through and i was like this is the new Limp Bizkit album go- called still sucks if anyone wants to listen to the new Limp Bizkit album it's very good i didn't want to basically judge it just off a first opinion i went back through and listened <laughs> to it again and i will admit the first two or three songs they are old school Limp Bizkit yep. unashamed bangers really really enjoyed really how biscuit. utterly dumb they are like there is there is <laughs> nothing going on in those songs that you haven't heard before but that's not necessarily a bad thing when you're considering how much of a, a living meme that fred durst <laughs> is however Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When they started doing the ballad, the first one made my skin invert, mate. It felt like my bones leapt out of my back because it did not (laughs) want to be a part of this body anymore. And then the second ballad, the slow bit they do, Uh where it leads into the heavier screaming bits of the chorus, I was like, 
this is even worse because oh. they're making me sit through somebody pulling out my nails and pouring lemon juice in there. <laughs> and then they're hitting me in the face with what sounds like shocking a terrier in the testicles. I'm one of those shock say, prods. I love, I mean, I love Limbiscuit. I grew up with them. I have that big nostalgic pull. Don't shake but you, at me. But you, but it's, so I, I grew up with them too. But you can't love that ballad. That ballad is the worst piece of music <laughs> I've ever heard. And I, I'm, when I was growing up, loved their cover of uh, Beyond Blue Eyes or whatever it's called, Behind Blue Eyes. And, uh, but I'm not, I'm not, Limbus could have always done ballads. They've always done slower stuff. They did that yeah, sample and every single on the one of them. Right, okay, right, okay. I'll tell you this much, mate. Go on. When's the last time you actually listened uh, to one of those in our choice? Never. Oh, like when, yesterday. Never. I mean, all the you time. No, no, you didn't. No, you did not <laughs> load up Spotify and say, mm, Spotify, show me some Limp Biscuit ballads. Rolling Let's Spotify. slow it down. Let's slow it way down. Limp Biscuit do really good ballads. I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. We'll get some sort of a uh, comment thread going forward. <laughs> Chicken your I head. Just, I am. Biscuit ball- I'll, I'll make a, I'll make a tweet with the best Limp Biscuit ballads, and we'll, or I might do a poll, and we'll see what people think of the LBP. The L- no, the LBB, the Limp Biscuit ballads, because it's I a. Just, it's a whole I, I, side genre. It's blowing my mind. Uh, but you know what? Apart Beautiful from that, band. Snacky Poo is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I have to admit, uh, that's, that got me good, that one. I like that he made a song about just having a pack of, a bag of crisps or a, a yeah. bunch of biscuits. He just wants a Snacky Poo. <laughs> I have to admit, I did enjoy the fact that he's taken how many years since their last album? Uh, nine, I believe. No, so, so nine years a out while. of the game. Yeah. So nine years out of the game, right? He's <laughs> traded on his thing and he's come back and he's just gone, oh, what should we do for this new album? Should we hire an artist maybe with more than 50 <laughs> quid to spend on the front cover? Nah, nah, I'll draw Ew. myself in MS Paint, mate. Well, and they got, then, uh, they got DJ they, Lethal back. I did, uh, Yeah, they got him back, but he doesn't seem to appear on half of the songs. He only uh, mentions well. him. He's, he's like, DJ Lethal's here. And he does something amazing. And then he just disappears for the rest of the album. Apparently, like, okay. DJ Lethal, uh, Donald Johnson Lethal, was the reason that they managed to do a new album at all. He was the one that got the whole band back together again. So I am going to read some lyrics, very quick lyrics from uh, from on, Snacky man. Poo, who says, Lethal, turn it up. Are we burning up the kitchen? Freddie D going to whip us up a batch you ain't forgetting. And bringing out the fixings to too many dimension and bringing back the 90s to ease up on the tension. Now, I don't know what, I don't know what you can do with that other than just be happy well i'll tell you what you can do you can call it a day after half an hour's hard work is what you can do with that one because that did that was a first draft if ever i've heard one he was on he was on on notes he was on notes right on his little phone he was just like typing away for a bit and he's like uh attention yeah that'll do that'll do (laughs) (laughs) flush the toilet snacky poo oh Oh my god it's the best they have a song called barnacle that's just a full-on nirvana ripoff and a song called goodbye that's a westlife ripoff so just just dive in have a bit of swim it's a lovely time know that jules is shaking his head in utter disdain but i am not i love Drown me. Anyway, Drown me. album of the year. Next question by RB. <laughs> you cannot get away. I'm sorry, man. I'm not letting you pass on to the next question by saying album of the year after that. Repeat, this is not an endorsement for Limp Biscuit Still Sucks being album of the year. It is by me. It's the most fun I've had with an album all year. Anyway, next question by RB. Who says, hi, lads. Thanks for the great podcasting. Don't know if it will be after the conversation we just had. Why do you think people are so surprised when a story-heavy game like Guardians of the Galaxy comes out and is actually good? Am I alone in thinking that there is still a place for single? player story experiences i think that this is entirely because god it was guardians it was the follow-up to the yeah. avengers it had nothing to do with it being a single player game i think that i agree with you on that one also the marketing itself seemed to suggest that it was trading on the avengers uh, lineage, like a DLC what, pack, lineage yeah. is kind of just like holding up a a used doormat that's just something what <laughs> they're like absolute dog turd covered boots on just saying look at that that's that's mm-hmm. pretty impressive and it put that on the fridge well, it's, yeah it felt like a dlc pack and it's one of those things i mean all you need to do is look at the sales of spider-man miles and and miles morales like there are top tier triple a single player and god yes. of war like you know there are massive single player games flying especially on the sony side but i will admit though they are far uh, or few and far between. Is it far or few between or few and, few and far, far between, between? I believe. Yeah, few and far between because of the fact that they are 
these huge milestone moments. And people do talk about them a lot when it comes to games, mm -hmm. but they don't seem to be the ones that are rising to the top of the pack in terms of the monthly sales, the yearly no, sales. They not. review incredibly well and they are incredibly well known, but it is a, uh, a, an industry that is dominated by multiplayer Well, I guess they, they almost by definition don't have that tail on them. Like, I mean, Assassin's Creed will sell very well over time because it has mm -hmm. the, they do the different loot drops and the different microtransactions for it and stuff. But that's always the warring side of gaming. Like, I love the yeah. Guardians as a throwback single player. It, it feels like a late 2000s single player game, which I love. Do you know what's really bad? And mm -hmm. I feel bad for the writers. I feel like I'm slagging them off here, but mm -hmm. I don't actually view the likes of Far Cry and Assassin's Creed <laughs> as being competent single player games. They're right. just like their stories are so they're just sandboxes. I mean, that's that, that's that, that's an Ubisoft problem, I would say. Yeah. I, I don't look at them and think games. of like that is what I think of when I'm trying to champion a single player experience. I, I think see a single player experience like The Last of Us. It's like yeah, I was that, gonna say that, that's like it, an interesting It's more the cinematic, it. it's more the emotional. That's what I'm looking for when I talk about single player games, not just has a single player component. Right. I, well, yeah, that definitely again that folds into the Ubisoft stuff for me because they'll say that the division is a single player game and it's yeah, they absolutely will, it? yeah. not. And uh, back for blood. It's all oh, a single player mode, but like it doesn't. It's not really anything because the AI is terrible, and you can't unlock any trophies or achievements. I tell you what, I'm playing uh, back for blood single mm. player, not through uh, choice though, because <laughs> I still can't get online properly to sort out my matches. Thank you very much, Xbox Game Pass, for a free game that is absolute bunk. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. It is like I, I would say the likes of Naughty Dog um, and like Sony overall pushed that idea of single player stuff being very cinematic, and like yeah, it is an interesting conversation on what. Like, can you call your game a single player if it is just the multiplayer mode with less people, with less yeah. with bots or something? Um, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's a real risk as well doing single player games mm. because of the fact that when you add in multiplayer, if it's a multiplayer focused title, you get more players by proxy playing your game because mm. it's well, it's designed around having more people online and mm -hmm. it's easier to sell battle passes. It's easier to sell season passes. It's easier to spend like skins and stuff like that because what you're doing is just slotting stuff into a mm -hmm. formula that repeats itself over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. With single player stuff, it's like writing a movie, then directing it, like then creating every single asset from it. It's There is such an intense amount of work that you can see why they're less favorable when it comes to uh, handing out loans to make these oh, man, if you're games. if you're if you're big big business you're uh, you know you all you want to do is like you know do the most bankable overtime thing possible it's yeah. why you end up with the likes of the avengers or you end up with the likes of anthem but they i would take i'd love rockstar to do a story focused game every couple of years yeah. uh, smaller budget more focused on storytelling and writing and scripting and characters um i would love that stuff i, I think that over time would make more money than gambling on an x number of monetary platforms that fail anyway what I love is when you actually find multiplayer centric games that mm. put in a single player mode that is actually banging. Like, do you yes. remember um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Underground? Oh, like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, versus Eric Sparrow, mate. Like, going perfect, through all those. Limp Biscuit time, that, mate. That's when they Don't, were flying. I just. I, <laughs> Spoiler, I walked into on. this one. Walked into that one, didn't I? Just move on. Well, you know, a pair of board shorts waiting for you. Backwards red cap. Don't worry about it. Um, next question from Carol Type Shaw, who says, do you think Elden Ring will be peak Soulsborne? Is Soulsborne still a niche genre or has it gone more mainstream? If you will allow me right now to make a noise uh, that could sum up the entire 15 to 20 minute demo that we just got yesterday, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it goes like this. <laughs> mm. more please my uh my reaction was the opposite of the world where oh, i just sort yeah. of looked at it i'll, I'll let you you should talk positive things because we, we've argued a lot on this podcast what do you think what do you think about Elden Ring? <laughs> i think 
that it is an open world Dark Souls game, and I am here for it, mate. I think it's an open world Dark Souls game, and it's just an open world Dark Souls game, and I want it more. Why is that a bad thing? Why is that a bad I thing? I just, I don't, I started let you talk, and I'm here I am. I thought that the the whole, because I looked at the animations, and I was like, well, the walking animation is exactly the same, and I don't like that they talk about having stealth mechanics, but they're not Sekiro style. They're like, it's almost yeah. like you're playing a stealth version of Dark Souls. Like, I love the bit when she goes behind the guy, one of the guards, and she's crouched, and then just does a full bore arrow shot to the back of the guy's head. It's like, <laughs> So there's no stealth takedown there at all. And the aerial kill is just jumping and doing a drop attack. It's not like an actual animation. And it was stuff like that where I was like, ah, this feels like Dark Souls on a bigger map. And I know that's what people want, but I wish there was more bespoke animations to make Elden Ring more Elden Ring, make it more of its own yeah. thing. I totally understand where you're coming from because when Dark Souls, Soulsborne, Bloodborne, whatever, you, like Sekiro stuff comes mm. out, they, they, they big them up to be like bigger and more impressive. But it is... <sighs> You could get away with the mechanics and the graphical assets being recycled in in the Dark Souls game because it is a uh, franchise based around cyclical stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it is about repetition and stuff. So it kind of makes sense in that if you're going to get down to a granular level. I too would have liked to have seen a bit more flash and pizzazz to the animations there, but it's not something that's going to hold back my enjoyment as long as it is rock hard offers a challenge that is, you know, tough but fair I, i'm there for it i'm right. really really I, i'm really excited and the horse riding combat the horse great. stuff looks uh, great like, like the um I'm, spirit I'm worried. or whatever they're called where you just fly up the yeah. side of a mountain that stuff's awesome the only thing that i can think of that might be a bit uh lessen the impact of it mm. is the fact that everything that we saw in the terms of the combat with the horse uh, stuff was that it just was circling around and around right. and around. And I was like, that's what we do with every single Dark Souls boss. You just run around in circles and <laughs> wait for your opportunity to attack pretty much. It kind of made me think it was like Shadow of the Colossus on like steroids. It was just like really yeah. brutal, punchy version of Shadow of the Colossus. And so, yeah, I mean, it looks like solid enough. It, it, it's, it was one of those things where I was like, it's from software. They've done a from software. And I, I, I get like, it's barely a criticism because it's just, it was just that thing where I watched it and I was like, oh, I know, how, I know how that's going to play. I know how that's going to feel. And when they did the, the different finishing animations, the different stabs, the camera shakes in the same way that it does in Sekiro. And I was just like, yeah, we've we've done this. Like, it's cool, but I just kind of wish there was a little bit more to it that made it more like, more identifiable as Elden Ring rather than just it's another From Software game. I mean, I, I did get like a lot of uh, sort of like influences from Breath of the Wild as well, mm. looking at it. Oh, just the map the way markers that, and stuff. Yeah, just in the way that they were presenting what this uh, new world was going to be. So mm. I am, I'm very excited. To, I like the idea of, you know, say you come up against some boss or something and it's just standard source thing of like, oh my God, I'm clearly not ready for this. And you can just go off in 12 mm -hmm. other directions mm -hmm. and find something else. And maybe you'll find a weapon or something that'll let you get through it. Um, I, I do trust in From Software. I mean, Dark Souls is my favorite games of all time. Um, and I love Sekiro. So it's like, okay, I, I, I have faith. I just was a little bit underwhelmed with the reuse of animations or the feel of this is literally Dark Souls on a bigger map. So I guess we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, next question from Jacob Sawyer. Which studio slash company for you has completely lost their way creatively? For me, it's Ubisoft or Activision. Everything is just the same or it's refined or tweaked slightly. I enjoyed Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but it's not what I want from Assassin's Creed. And how many times can Activision repackage Call of Duty? Yeah, you've got <laughs> hit, the, hit the nail on the head. World War One is out today as well. Yeah, I mean, the for me, anything that goes into the annualized uh, release, that's always going to end up being just like building on a crumbling empire. Mm -hmm. You're just going to add new assets or slight tweaks on the <clears> same bones and you're just charging people the same 60 to 70 quid for doing it. I will always be very annoyed about that is my personal boat bear. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of picking one specific publisher or developer that's lost their way, 
I was thinking I was going to say Microsoft that they've lost their Ooh. way, but then I was thinking only in the sense that they have bought um, public de developers and mm. they've not used them properly. Like goes back to the like, holding pattern like, for them. Yeah. yeah, like Rare and Criterion not being able to release games that made them famous. They've like absorbed them into the greater mass and have just mm. split up the teams to work on different things throughout mm -hmm. the years. And I feel like at one point in time, Microsoft was. Or, what you would only think of PC gaming and associate Microsoft with it. It was just right. embedded into that sort of thing, like uh, mainly because of the fact that it was the only thing to play the games on. But now it feels like they, I don't know, they just, they I did the EA thing of the early 90, late 1990s, and early 2000s, buy up a load of developers, mm. squeeze out the last games of them, siphon them off, and then just that was it. I can totally see the argument that um, it's weird because Game Pass is flying. It's an incredible like, yeah. value for money. But I kind of couldn't believe that we started another generation and they didn't have a slate of games ready. Yeah. Like their organization is actually kind of terrible. Like the, the fact that they had to delay Halo last year, a month before it was coming out. And then we're just hoping, crossing fingers, that the campaign has been brought together for this year's release. It is insane. Like I, I, um, I, I could absolutely see the argument that you contrast, you know, the 2000s Gears of War fable and yeah. the Forza and the amount of Xbox franchises with where we are now and some of those things are still going but they've just it's it's weird they're they're just the game pass company you're buying a console yeah. to get game pass and that's kind of it and uh, it is they've a hell just of a completely like stepped away from the actual like development of interesting mm. and unique things like i tell you what mate if they've released the brand new xbox and they'd said that a new viva pinata was coming back on for it, i would have <laughs> absolutely hit i would have been mad for they it they just needed new stuff like it was just sort of yeah. like this it's been so few xbox focus xbox exclusive franchises that got your like you know turned eyeballs kind of thing psychonauts 2 is like the only one of the year yeah uh, Forza Horizon's about to come out, I guess. But yeah, I'll tell you what. Another um, developer that has completely lost their way is Konami. Like, oh god, yeah, the yeah, whole that's been a long time. Of like, you know, between <laughs> Metal Gear Solid Survive and their breakup with Hideo Kojima. They have all like, the just... eFootball stuff right now. Like yeah, that game e was released stuff. years in advance. Like that just things things seems completely broken. I'll just I'll uh, second Ubisoft. I can't believe. Mm -hmm. Um, that they're doing X Defiant as this weird Call of Duty chasing thing. Then they tried mm -hmm. Ghost Recon, um, whatever it's called, Front War, Frontline, the PUBG style thing. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. Just, just do a new game. Do something that's not like literally ripping off the competition. Um, and then they've announced there's the new Splinter Cell leaked, but I have zero faith that that's yeah. going to be an actual Splinter Cell. I think that's going to be like a Ghost Recon type thing. Um, so all those and more, basically. Um, next question from Nod Dog, who says, Another week gone, lads, and I have the hottest take of hot takes to drop. The original God of War franchise is better than God of War 2018. God of War 2018 is good, but the originals are chef's kiss. Also, scotch over a pint any day. Keep up the good work. There's a lot I, in there. There's a lot in there. I, there's a lot to dissect from that. So <laughs> the original God of War games are better than the redone. That's what Nod Dog says. I disagree. Listen, I can actually see where he's coming from, mm. though, because they the action spectacle that you got from the first three games alone was so incredible. Yeah. Like, I had never played anything quite as polished and as brutally, viscerally violent as the original God of War games. I loved going through all of the different pantheon of gods at the time and, mm -hmm. and growing with Kratos as he became effectively more and more angry and his powers grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. Those, like, there are certain boss battles from those, the original trilogy that stick with me as some of the best boss battles in entirety of gaming. Like, Hydra I, all the way. Yeah, like just going against Ares or like going mm. against Zeus, like that, getting your ass kicked by Zeus was such a humbling moment. That, um, the massive statue in God of War 2, the Colossus oh, of Rhodes, yeah, that yeah, thing was yeah, insane yeah, yeah. too. Like the fact that they managed to get that sense of scale and epicness onto the PS2 at the time was really mm. impressive. Mm. And it was so liquid smooth as well, the combat. Mm. I can see that that is like action arcade joy yes. condensed. 
But in terms of moving the conversation along from here's what a game can be in the, if you just classify it as a game versus here's what a cinematic experience with game mm. elements attached to it. It's they're night and day projects. I feel yeah. like trying to compare them is actually really difficult because although you know it's like it's kind of interesting because it is like it gets to the because for me if I'm ranking the best games of all time I'm not going to put something that has a an overarching if it was like a percentage breakdown if the if the majority mm -hmm. percentage is more focused towards cinematics I'm not going to say that's one of the best game games of all time it's going to have to have elements that are rooted in the medium so like Fair as enough. much as I don't agree with I agree that God of War 2018 is better overall as a package because I'd have to hang that on the gameplay and the fact that it twins the um, the mentality of, that came with those old games with the how much like you said they advance the conversation but it is an interesting conversation because the older God of Wars are way more video games yeah. like like you said arcadey mechanics they're nice and snappy they're way more or like they don't really care about gore they're all over the place and well, you actually get it all is of like your, a divisive thing you get all of the um the different abilities and stuff as well whereas mm. in god of war 2018 you have a much lim more limited uh, you get like, like some special powers yeah but it's yeah, not the, as much you, but they're basically all revolving around upgrading your axe or your mm. shields or mm. whatever stuff that you get though your, um, your blades of chaos but you get so much more crazy mm. stuff in the previous games and so many more outrageous combos that mm. you do. And I can kind of see that like it's more fun potentially to play through the first three God of Wars than it is to go through the emotional slog that is God of War 2018. But in terms of a more rewarding experience, because it requires more investment of the mm. player in the latter, I think that that was what makes it a better experience. I couldn't argue that it makes it a better game because mm. it doesn't actually do anything that we haven't seen in any other. It got, no. it's, got bit, it's got impressive environments, it's got open world elements, uh, climactic bosses, quick time events, uh, and combat that kind of feels not ripped off, but mm. adapted from a principle that was set with uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, that sort of like crowd. Oh, yeah, very Soulsian too, I would say. Like that's fine. Combined, it makes a brand new experience, but on in terms of gameplay elements, mm. it doesn't do that much new that I haven't it's seen just, in it's other like games. I because obviously both of us grew up with God of War, and I, mm -hmm. I love that they wrote the new one. Obviously, it was Corey Barlock who who came on board in God of War Two. I think he was on a, a part of God of War One, but he took over in God of War Two. Um, to have a bigger role in everything. And I love that God of War 2018 is a reflection on the attitudes of the industry mm -hmm. across the mm -hmm. 2000s, that whole approach to violence that we had, the likes of Manhunt and all those sort of like shock violent games. Um, and like like you said, advancing the conversation, the, the conversations Kratos has with Atreus are literally him talking to his old self. Like yes. there's a whole portion yeah. of the new game where Atreus gets, Atreus gets carried away with his god powers and he's just killing without really caring and Kratos has to address that and they make that what the whole game is about. And I was like, this is a brilliant meta comment. Like mm -hmm. it's working on five different levels and it's great um but like you said it, it is one of those things where if you just want a through and through video game maybe the old ones are like that because you don't have all that cinematic stuff you don't have the character building and you could argue that that is in something's favor if it's trying to be a better video game yeah i i, I feel like i would i had potentially more brain dead fun with the original trilogy but Same. i walked away from god of war 2018 remembering much more of what i did and the yes. impact of my choices within that game oh totally and i think if for the originals by the time they got to god of war 3 he was just butchering everyone and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. friend was, foe yeah. alike 
um, and nothing landed anymore. So it's just, I will, I will take 2018, but it almost only works because of the foundation set by the original one. They needed something to bounce off and evolve from. Um, mm -hmm. It's the beginning of a conversation that 2018 finishes. Um, but yes, massive thank you for everybody for sending in some of the best questions we've ever had, to be honest. <laughs> with them, some of the, the best back and forths that we've had. We'll carry some stuff on to next week because it really was a brilliant selection of questions this week. Um, and for now, this has been the Untitled Panda Podcast. Check out our Twitters next Thursday. I'm at slash LP89. Jules, where will you be? I'm at RetroJ with a zero. Beautiful. We'll put out another uh, a casting call, another uh, net of questions. But I will mm -hmm. carry some stuff over as well because um, you never know. There might be more hot takes, might be more Limp Bizkit takes. You never know Please, no. Please, what people no. are going to bring up. But for now, this has been the Untitled Panda Podcast. I've been Scott Taylor, joined by Jules Gill. Thanks for having me, mate. And we'll catch you next week. UBP, 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 UBP. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.